Hello there, this is Paul McGillian as Dr. Carson Beckett, and this is GateWorld.net, your complete guide to Stargate. An exclusive interview with Robert C. Cooper, executive producer, SG-1 at Atlantis. For GateWorld.net, I'm Darren Sumner, and this is David Reed. We're here with Mr. Robert C. Cooper. Thanks for having us over today. Yes, You're welcome. Tell us uh, your overall impression of the new season of SG-1. With Vala entering the mix full-time, there's even more change for SG-1 this season. Yeah, uh, it's not it's not that much of a change. I mean, it's uh, she was obviously a big part of season 9, mm -hmm. and, and uh, we all loved having her and, and loved the dynamic she brought to the team. And uh, the one difference is we get to have her and Carter together this year, which mm -hmm. is... Uh, proving to be a lot of fun. Everybody's having a great time. And uh, I think we always felt that, um, you know, it was a four-person team and there wasn't really room for other people. And uh, I guess we were wrong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, been, it's been a challenge to try and balance the storylines uh, between that many characters. And of course, really the other aspect is sure. the other person is uh, you know, General Landry is really actually five leads on the show and then mm -hmm. now six. So, yeah, you, you want to make sure everyone gets their time uh, in, the, in the light, in, in the limelight. And uh, I think we've done a pretty good job of that so far. We're also not just throwing Vala on the team. I mean, uh, one of the things that we all agreed we loved about her character was the fact that she's a bit of a, an outsider with an attitude and, and that that attitude doesn't necessarily fit right in immediately and and if you just suddenly had her change her personality and join the team and be accepted it wouldn't feel right uh, would probably not be nearly as interesting as keeping her character as a bit of a wild card mm -hmm. she may be able to get things done though that the others can't yes yeah. i mean you know in in uh in the ways that uh you know, I think um, in in early seasons, Teal'c was a unknown quantity, a bit of a you know a wild card factor in the yeah. show. You never yeah. knew when his past was going to come back on the team, or or what he was going to do in any given situation. You know, go off and kill somebody, or take his own mm -hmm. agenda into into account. And uh, and uh, the way I think Ronan brings that dynamic to the Atlantis team, I think that's what Vala helps to bring to SG-1, a certain unpredictability in any given situation. There's a great episode early on uh, in which she uh, has to undergo a psychiatric evaluation in order just to be allowed to participate in the SGC program, and uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's a lot of... Uh, a lot of fun moments in that. That was actually Claudia's idea. She said, well, wouldn't it be oh, yeah. great if, uh, wouldn't it be great if Vala had to have a psych evaluation? <laughs> <laughs> How did you approach planning season 10 during the off season? To what degree is this a matter of looking at the next 20 episodes and planning the big brush strokes versus just brainstorming individual story ideas and having it come together that way? Yeah, the, I think, I don't remember if we uh, talked about this, I've, uh, I have said it before, is, is that season nine was about 
wiping the slate clean, sort of, and introducing the Ori, kind of preparing us for what was going to happen, which is that they were going to invade and kind of take over. The whole goal from the beginning of Season 9 moving forward was to bring the series back to where it was when it started in Season 1, and that is put us at a tremendous disadvantage, you know, wipe the slate clean, make, make us the underdogs again. And because we had gotten to the point where we won every time, you know, we killed Gould's replicators at will, and the challenge wasn't there anymore. And so we wanted to create bad guys that would now be as big a challenge as the Gould were when we first opened the Stargate. So season nine was very much not only just about introducing the new members of the team, but also the new bad guys and how that was going to work. And, and season 10 is very much about the bad guys kind of executing the plan, the promise, coming through on, on what they've uh, said would come to pass, which mm -hmm. is that they're going to come in and, and take over our galaxy. And Day of Reckoning. Yeah. The final moments of Camelot certainly up the ante. Yeah, I thought it was as, as uh, you know, impactful a... A ten minute sequences we've ever done on the show and uh, and uh, you know hopefully was uh, what it was intended to be which is a great ominous sort of harbinger of the foe we're up against so uh, season 10 is is you know uh, about the Ori sweeping through our galaxy and us kind of having to start from scratch again and find technology and, and, and resources and allies that we can use to, to fight against them. Um, puts us back in, you know, at square one, so to, so to speak. And then, and you know, and, and then we're also dealing with our, you know, our, our characters on an individual episode basis and trying to expand those characters and move them forward from where they are. And we're still getting to know Landry and Mitchell and, and now Vala. So there's some great opportunities there to uh, just figure out who they are, take a breath from the bigger global mm -hmm. arc of the season, and, and just tell some, some fun character stories too. So with all this set up with uh, the new characters and with the Ori finally here, finally on the warpath, as a writer, uh, what does is, what is this offer to you that you didn't have before? Um, just a a challenge for our heroes. I mean, it, 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 you know, you, you had to write something new. I mean, you've, you, when, you, when you've written, uh, you know, a show for as long as we have, you have to change it in order to keep it fresh for yourself as well. Um, so obviously having new bad guys and new obstacles for your characters to overcome it makes them, you know, makes it more interesting. It's also, the, you know, the old adage in any sort of mythical sort of genre piece is that your hero is only as good as your bad guy is bad. Mm -hmm. So by working on your bad guy and making them as, you know, intimidating as you possibly can, you're going to elevate your heroes. And uh, I think that's going to be the case with, you know, with the show, seeing their struggle. Uh, the other new element that we have, of course, is the figurehead for the bad guys, which we sort of mm -hmm. had, uh, uh, you know, hesitated to reveal and sort of built up, and uh, and that's going to be uh, that's going to be a lot of fun. It doesn't really happen until maybe the second 
half of the first half of the season. We always think of things in two halves, mm -hmm. you know, around here because of the way sci-fi airs the show. But um, we uh, we deal with sort of the the fallout of of Camelot and the battle and the and the insurgence of the um, the Ori into our galaxy, and then we take a break for a few episodes and deal with some other uh, some other. Uh, uh, hanging issues, and then uh, and then we take an even bigger break for our 200th episode, which is going to be a giant departure from uh, the normal goings on around here. Mm. And then towards seven, eight, nine, ten, we start to get back into the arc of of the Ori story and and where that's going, leading into our mid-season two-parter. Your uh, the primary antagonist is kind of switching from the Priors and the Doci to Adria. Yes. Um, will we see the Dosai ever again? Are there plans to keep him in the loop, or are we switching he's, to Adria completely? He's kind of the, he, the Dosai is kind of the leader of the Priors who, who does his work from, from, you know, the Ori galaxy, you know, the, yeah, he, he's kind of the head there. Adria is the, you know, basically one step higher than him, but equal in terms of her role in, in our galaxy. She's the one who the Ori have sent to lead the armies in, the, in their, um, their crusade. The, uh, the Priors in Season 9 were really the, the foretellers of the doom and gloom, uh, the prophets. What are the, the role that the Priors have now? It's the same, basically. They're, they're still the, um, you know, the missionaries. And... Uh, the difference is uh, we're going to see a little more of the warriors this year, too, the, the people mm -hmm. who are actually doing the fighting. We got a, a little bit of a taste of them in Crusade last year, and then uh, we'll see a little more of them this year, a little more about them actually, you know, Do you worry about them being the two-dimensional? Like, the, their devotion is so pure. It's like the Borg with assimilation, you know? Yeah, I, I actually, I mean, I, I wrote... You know, crusade because I thought I wanted to make them not two-dimensional. To me, it was interesting to develop them as a character, not just Toman. In but Toman is a, a representation of of them. Uh, you know, I I think that uh, it's it's very interesting to look at someone with the strength of belief who's willing to fight with for what they want to fight for. It just happens to be different than what we <laughs> what we uh, want to, as Brad Wright making faces in the window for anybody who's... <laughs> um, you know, it's different from what our agenda is, and I think that type of single-mindedness certainly exists in our world. It's something we see go on around us, and, and the trying... I think it's, I think it's important for us to try and understand why people want to go to war with us or blow up our buildings or our airplanes and uh -huh. you know that I don't think that that single-minded devotion makes someone two-dimensional I think it's more that you're trying to make we were, I was trying to make those warriors more than just people in suits that that we because it's science fiction and because it's far more 
black and white than our, our real world is, and, and, and we tend to paint with primary colors and archetypes than we do, you know, uh, re you know, true reality, and it is, you know, ultimately just entertainment, but, but we were trying to get to something a little bit more than just, you know, people in, in wardrobe as warriors, that, that that in our case, the, the people following Ori, we perceive them to be mistaken in their beliefs. But there's a really interesting scene in Flesh and Blood, the first episode, in which uh, young Adria, uh, at the age of um, about eight, basically says to, um, to Vala, uh, I don't know what the ancients have told you, but it's it's a lie. We do ascend our followers. Mm. Um, they're the ones who are sapping energy from you so that they can get enough power to kill us. Mm. Well, I mean, Vala doesn't believe her because she's on our side and we don't believe her and she's the bad guy and she's saying the wrong thing, but who's to say she isn't right? Like, why, why don't we believe her? Why? Mm. Who is right? I mean, th that's one of the things about when you're talking about religion and belief and and uh, you know gods. Well, you know, there's you, you, there's really no winner to the argument, and that's the problem. Is when people try and solve that argument by killing each other, and that's where I think you know we have to draw the line in our society uh, and say there should be a more civilized way of having that dialogue than, than taking up arms. Um, those are just some of the issues I think we were trying to, to deal with in the, in the mythology of the show. I think it's a really interesting twist on the way that the relationship with the Jaffa and the Gould used to be, which is the, the Gould demonstrate their power and so try and convince the Jaffa that they're gods but then there's still the enslavement factor. Yes. The worshippers of the Ori don't have the enslavement factor. They, that's almost replaced with a true-to-the-heart fanatical devotion. Yes. And, well, and an unwitting slavery in a way, because while the, the um, you know, the Gould never, uh, you know, never actually took anything uh, spiritually and physically from the from the Jaffa you know they 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 had them you know obviously subjugated but but in the case of the Ori followers they're they're being used as unwitting batteries to an extent you know sapping their energy and life force to, mm -hmm. to power the Ori so it's uh, I think it's even I mean I don't know how you quantify those things necessarily but it's to me feels more sinister mm -hmm. Mm -hmm much more personal from your soul. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You've spent a lot of time in recent weeks on Satita. Yes. Which you both wrote and directed. Yes, Tell right. us a little bit about that one and the, the decisions that you made as a director. Craziness. That this unique to Stargate. Um, well, I, I mean, as you know, I, uh, my first uh, directing foray was last year on Crusade, and that was, mm -hmm. a, uh, was a bit of a drama. There was a little bit of uh, was a little bit of action in it, but not much. It was mostly a 
little morality play and, and a lot of conversations between two people, mm. which which was great. But it's it, I, I intentionally did something a little more. Uh, let's just I don't want to say easy, but but a little a little less challenging in terms of the production side of things. As my first shot out as director, and mm. uh, and then I, I you know I, I I came up with this idea to to uh, delve into Ronan's backstory a little bit. Um, and and it you know it's a, it's an action piece it's a it's a there's a lot of a lot of action in this show and uh, and that was intentional for me to have a a go at something a little different as a director I wanted mm -hmm. to uh, I wanted to uh, try something that I hadn't done obviously it's it's about setting up challenges for yourself to keep it interesting and uh, certainly set myself up for a challenge on that <laughs> we shot for a lot more. Uh, Let's just say it's it's very nice to be um, executive producer of the show as well because you can uh, you know you get to play with all the toys in the sandbox. I get I got I got to do a lot of things that our other regular directors don't get to do, and and uh, it, you know and I and I owe a, a great deal of uh, gratitude um, you know gratitude and and uh, thanks to uh, to Brad as well because uh, he he does you know oversee Atlantis to a large extent and and was very supportive in my taking a, a great deal of money out of the Atlantis coffers <laughs> to pay for Satita and it's put him in a big hole and he's gonna have to uh, write some some smaller shows to make up for it but uh, you know he he came in and and uh, I, I was really worried when I when I turned in that first script because I knew how big it was and what it was gonna do for to production to have to try and pull it off and and I said, look, I know it's huge, and uh, I'll cut it down. Uh, you know, I have to pull it back for sure, but I just wanted everyone to see, you know, what my first vision of the story was going to be. And he read it and came into my office and said, no, I think we should do all of this. <laughs> oh, wow. And uh, so, I, I, you know, obviously I, I really appreciated that opportunity, and uh, we did. We did it all. <laughs> Everyone's been talking about how such an epic motion picture scale this this episode is well well let's be fair i mean mo movies spend 80 million 90 well, million yeah. 100 million dollars and we spent two and uh and some and and they shoot for 100 days and we shot for 10 so i mean it's it is it is very big for the scale of the type of show we normally do. I'd say it probably has twice as many shots in it than a normal episode of Atlantis. Wow. And uh, I owe that to the crew who did an amazing job of basically stepping up in large part because I'm also the executive producer of the show and, and tried to um, you know, accomplish what I was uh, challenging them to accomplish which was to do a lot more shots than we normally do for for a day and 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 just bigger stuff I mean we were doing you know big big stunts four or five big stunts and and special effects explosions and and uh, you know a lot of a lot of gunfire and and uh, and then a lot of locations I mean we we shot in some we had a village you know built out in in, in Surrey that normally would be all we would do for one episode and mm -hmm. then we also you know tricked up this hospital to look like it had been sort of in a post-apocalyptic world and and uh, and then we spent you know three days shooting at a at a location over here in uh, in downtown Vancouver where they used to shoot um, Dark Angel 
and created a whole sort of post-apocalyptic city there. And uh, so it was, a, it was a big thing, yeah. I mean, wow. it's, it's not a feature film, but it was big for Stargate, mm -hmm. certainly. Uh, that's, uh, that's uh, and you know, and, and I, you know, I, haven't, I haven't seen it all cut together. That's my next uh, mm -hmm. big uh, challenge, is to make sure it all, it's all gonna work. But yeah, I think everyone was very excited about the fact that we were, um, we were trying some, some, some big things. Could Jason have been any more tickled when he first received this? No, I, I honestly know it was. I'm sure there, you know. There are no more excited kids on Christmas morning opening presents than he he was when he uh, when he first came in to uh, talk about that script. He <laughs> and you know what? He was his trooper through all of it. He sold out and and uh, basically, you know, nearly killed himself to make it. To make it great, yeah. uh, most of the stuff you see with him in it is him. Very, very, very few shots in which he didn't do his own stunts. Wow! And uh, had the bruises and you know bumps to show for it. Is there something about the character of Ronan or his backstory that particularly appealed to you? You don't get to go over and play in the Atlanta sandbox very often. Well, I wrote the first script that he appeared in, mm -hmm. um, and. I think I had a sense of what that character was, and I, and I feel like I wanted him to be more than just the muscle who grunted every now and then mm -hmm. in the show. And I, and I mean, I'm not saying that's what Jason was. He 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 certainly, I think, had a character and has a great deal of ability as an actor. But um, we hadn't really done a show that that featured him and he's he's got incredible ability and uh, not just as a physical presence but as an actor as well and I think you're going to see that in this show too it's not all blowing things up and sh running and shooting although it's mostly blowing things up and running <laughs> and shooting it's there are, we do stop uh, to um, uh, to pause for, for a moment now and then and I think you'll be pretty surprised by what he's capable of in those moments you know, the story, as much as it's about Ronan uh, running around in the dis destroyed streets of his former planet, is about the team. One of the things that we did at the beginning of the season on Atlantis is, is sort of sat back and took stock and say, okay, we're, we've done two seasons. Where are we? What, where mm -hmm. is this show at? What's working about it and what's not? And, and one of the things that we thought we could do better was to create the sense of camaraderie and, and relationships between the team and that and that we felt we were getting the action adventure part of the of the show right but that 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 the team itself the chemistry still hadn't quite clicked the same way we had on uh, it had on on SG1 and and of course you're always comparing eighth ninth seasons to season two so you don't you don't want to be unfair, but I mm -hmm. think we as writers did things in the early years as, uh, of SG-1 that galvanized those relationships. And without being corny about it, I think you wanted, you, we wanted to create uh, moments that would be touchstone moments for fans to hearken back to when they look back at Atlantis. You know, there, I know there were scenes that, that 
people just sort of picked out. Like I remember in, in um, uh, not even really one of my favorite episodes of SG-1, but uh, in need when, when Daniel was going through his withdrawal from the sarcophagus and O'Neill kind of, you know, uh, they had that moment where O'Neill basically, you know, held on to him and they, and they you know, had that real cathartic moment together. Mm -hmm. Fans point to that as being a, a great moment in their relationship. And uh, I felt like we needed to have more of those kinds of interactions between the Atlantis team. I think that mm -hmm. they were and we were, to a certain extent, taking for granted the aspect of their relationships with each other that uh, maybe the fans weren't quite getting or connecting with. That So again, as much as the story is about Ronan running around and being chased by Wraith and killing Wraith, it's also about the rest of the team having developed a relationship with him to the point where they were willing to go to any lengths to try and save him. And uh, and that plays into a lot of the s intervening moments in the in the script and in the in the story. Uh, let me ask you a, a kind of a specific question about the ships that we have on on SG One now. Uh, growing fleet of starships is becoming a pretty prominent part of both series. Uh, do you ever fear as you're as you're sitting in a writers' meeting that there's there's a line that you have to watch for where if you cross that line, at some point the show is not Stargate anymore. Um, I'm aware of it. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I've you know I've just said in recent meetings, um, you know we, you balance certain costs as producers. There's always factors, and you know in Atlantis we actually don't have a location gate, a physical location yeah. gate. Mm -hmm. Every time we go out on location, it's a visual effect, and so that factors into how often you see it on location and stuff like that. And the same goes for SG-1 where you, you have, uh, we have a location gate but it costs X amount of dollars to put it up and you need a location that is suitable, uh, you know, to put it up in. And, and then you start factoring, well, should we see it as a, as a visual effect? And then, and then if we do, what type of shot can you do? Because when you do visual effects you have to the cost it goes up exponentially when you start to move the camera. So all of that factors into a lot of your decisions about things like seeing the gate and 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 we just decided in you know in, in a meeting that yes we needed to early on this season uh, it, you know put up the location gate show it show it off do a scene in front of it because nothing says alien planet like location stargate and at the mm -hmm. core this show is still called Stargate SG-1. It's not, you know, Daedalus or Odyssey or, or whatever. Um, how, however, I still think those aspects of the show are, are fun and, and that it is a natural progression for us as, uh, you know, as Earth learns more and gains, uh, you know, technologies and allies that Everyone else seems to have ships, so why shouldn't we? And mm -hmm. and I think there's a nice balance, to be honest with you, between what we call our ship shows and and even our ship shows sometimes tend to involve the Stargate, like Off the Grid last year, which which was you could say a, an Odyssey show, but was all about the ball stealing Stargates. And mm -hmm. and uh, I still think the the Stargate itself 
at the end of the day is a much more valuable commodity in the world of Stargate than any one ship is. Uh, you know, if you were to attach, if you were playing a Stargate game and you were to attach value to it, I think you probably have a Stargate higher on your list than a ship in terms of what you, you know, what you put in your, uh, in your pocket. I, I, I love the ships. I think they're cool, and I think ship shows are cool. I don't think we're ever in danger of becoming Star Trek, you yeah. know, to look, you know, shoot the white elephant in the room. <laughs> <laughs> when SG-1 continues on this, after this season and Atlantis continues on, what do you want seasons 10 and seasons 3 to say to viewers? Uh, well, I want season three to say that that Stargate Atlantis is its own show and that it's got a lot of legs and that it's got a big future and that these characters are, uh, you know, as wonderful together and as much team as SG-1 ever was. Um, uh, as far as SG-1 goes, it's season 10. Who knows? You know, it's like, it's just a, it's just kind of a, we're in bonus land here, you know. <laughs> it's a, it's a thrill to be on the air, and and uh, it's all icing on the cake from here on in. I, I having been, you know, at at uh, you know a key person involved in in kind of re-energizing the show in season nine. Obviously, I want to see that, you know, little baby continue. I want to see that, you know, mm -hmm. live on a little longer. Mm -hmm. But again, if, if season 10 were the last season, I mean, it's hard, to, it's hard to say it was a failure, you know. Certainly we're all hoping for renewal for season 11 and season 4, mm -hmm. but uh, beyond that, what do you see as, as the future of the franchise? Um, well, I, I, there's a, let me just say I, I don't, there's no one specific plan that always seems to change. Um, there's a lot of interest in the franchise. It's mm -hmm. not going away. Mm -hmm. Whether you, what you see first, I, I would not even be willing to bet on that. I don't <laughs> even know what I want to give you odds on it. Um, uh, there's some, there's some, there's some very interesting, very competent people putting together a, a massive multiplayer game. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, contrary to any other games that have been referenced in the past, I think this one will be worth getting excited about. Uh, the, uh, there is always going to be talk of movies and other series. Uh, again, which, which you see first, mm -hmm. don't know, roll the dice. You'll see something though. Is there, is there a, an advantage to the powers that be to always keep the two productions running, whatever those two productions are? Or is there a chance we might get back to one season? Yeah, multiple production is always better. It always uh, makes much better business sense because you're amortizing all kinds of things over mm -hmm. two productions or three productions. So, yeah, the plan, the plan that we sort of accidentally fell into uh, here has proven to be very, you know, a very good one. My last question, are you still having fun? Are you yeah, still I'm being challenged? Yeah, I'm having a great time. I mean, I, uh, the directing has certainly been a great invigorating aspect of, you know, my creative uh, 
uh, energies. Um, but I still like writing the show. I still, you know, love uh, the characters, and uh, and I want to see it. I, you know, it's like it's like uh, you know, reading a book and. You, why would you put it down before the end? I mean, you know, I, in some ways, I, I want to help tell the end of the story, and so, um, you know, I'm still, I'm still waiting for that moment to come. But <laughs> we're not, we're obviously not there yet. But I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm still enjoying participating and helping to tell that story. I think it's, I still, I still write episodes that I can't wait to see, you know, mm -hmm. as a fan, and I, and I, I read other you know the other writers episodes and I'm excited about seeing those come you know come through production so yeah it's, you know, I'm as much a fan as anybody else both series Hi I'm Martin Garrow and this is GateWorld.net your complete guide to Stargate